0: Once you've found your way to Grünangergasse number 8, look up, and just above the large doorway you'll see an array of Austrian baked goods depicted in the ornate stucco relief of the Baroque façade. This is the so-called Kipfelhaus, named for the Kipfel or crescent-shaped pastry you see on the left side. You may know it by its French name, as a croissant, but believe it or not, it may have actually originated here in Vienna. Now, I should mention that this is one of those subjects where myth and documented fact are so interwoven that it can be difficult to tell the difference between them. So let's start with what historians have been able to establish as factual, and then we'll embellish it a bit with popular local legend. And since you'll be hearing quite a lot about local pastries in the next few minutes, but alas, this little street no longer offers any opportunity to try them, If your tummy is grumbling or time is a factor, you may want to take a photo of the shield above the door as a reference and start making your way to the next stop of this tour as you listen. In case you need directions, a link to an interactive map is available in the episode information text where you downloaded this tour. As always, I also end the episode with an explanation of how to find your way to the next stop. So what we do know is that this area was particularly densely populated by bakers dating back to the early medieval period, probably due to its proximity to the Vienna River, or Wienfluss, which has since been rerouted and now runs through the Stadtpark a few blocks east of here. Because bakers are generally dependent upon a secure supply of meal or flour, they're often found near mills, which would have used the power of flowing water to operate the millstone. The most common flour used in this period would have been whole grain rye, since the seed was cheaper, the plant is hardier in colder climates, and the grain required the least processing. Whole grain rye flour yields a heavy, dark loaf that would have served as the principal source of nutrition for the majority of the Central and Northeastern European population well into the 19th century. And generally speaking, the poorer you were, the more whole grain rye you ate so the bakery products shown in the top row of this decorative shield would have been particularly familiar to the majority of the Viennese population. These are a Bosniakrl on the left and a Mundlaberl or Schusterlaberl on the right, both types of inexpensive roll historically made principally from whole grain rye. The shape in the middle might already be familiar to you. This is a Brezel or pretzel in the English-speaking world, which, especially in historically Catholic areas of Central and Northern Europe, would have replaced meat and rich foods in your diet during the 40-day Lenten fast. The name brezel actually derives from the Latin bracelle, meaning little arms, since the shape is meant to be reminiscent of praying hands. Plus, the form has the added benefit of lending itself to being strung in bulk on a string or stacked on a dowel for easy transport by its vendors, who would have walked through the streets and door to door to offer pretzels to anyone observing the Lenten fast. Which if you'll indulge the obligatory punny dad joke, made it the original fast food. My apologies. But for special occasions, or maybe breakfast if you're among the wealthy few, You'd prefer pastry products, or enriched bread, made with expensive ingredients like butter, eggs, and refined white flour, not ground from rye, but from wheat. Refining flour is a labor-intensive process involving stripping the grain of its bran and germ to leave just the starchy white endosperm. And in the pre-industrial era, this required hand sifting. So products made from refined wheat flour, like the three remaining items you see depicted here, would have been rare, expensive treats reserved for especially auspicious occasions. The filled, slightly curved pastry on the right has largely survived to this day in the form depicted before you. This is called a beugel, or occasionally hochzeitsbeugel. First documented here in 1403, you can still find it in bakeries to this day, usually containing a sweet filling made from either ground walnuts, in which case it's called a nussbeugel, or poppy seeds, a The name comes from its characteristic form, derived from the Old High German word bog, which referred to a horseshoe shape. Left unfilled, the Beugel, like the Brezel, would have served as a meat replacement during Lent. And in this case, also like the Brezel, most of its flavor and seasoning would have come from being boiled in a lye or brine solution before baking. At some point, bakers must have noticed that pinching the two ends together was a good way to mostly preserve the dramatic U shape, which also made it more easily transported. Eventually, the pinched-together U became an O. And even if you've never heard of the boigel before today, this may be starting to sound familiar. Perhaps similar to another bakery product, most culinary historians trace to 17th-century Polish Jews who introduced it to New York City when they immigrated to the U.S. in the mid-1800s. In fact, the Yiddish name Beigel or Beigel is a direct etymological descendant of Beigel. And, at least according to the locals, that's because it was actually born here. So how did a late medieval Viennese bread product eaten on Catholic fast days make its way to the 17th century Jewish community in Krakow? Well, this is a prime example of where the border between fact and folklore starts to get a bit crumbly. In truth, the bagel probably developed in both places roughly simultaneously. According to the local legend, however, this transition was made at a flashpoint in the city's history when tens of thousands of Poles were here briefly in September of 1683. I'm referring, of course, to the second Turkish siege. A bit of historical context. Because Vienna was regarded as the gateway to Europe, Other major powers in Europe sent troops to help defend it both times the Ottomans attacked. In 1683, this reinforcement came in the form of around 20,000 Polish horsemen, led by King Jan Sobieski III. At the head of this massive formation of cavalry was a group of 3,000 elite heavy lancers, the famous Winged Hussars, with Sobieski himself leading the charge. This was and still is the largest cavalry charge in history and it proved successful in routing the Ottoman forces and compelling their retreat. So the local baker's guild, keen to express their gratitude to the Polish cavalry for helping save the city, created an edible tribute in the shape of a stirrup, or Beugel in German. Incidentally, this wasn't the first time a commemorative bakery product was invented to mark the survival of the city, at least according to local lore. This brings us back to the Kipfel, the crescent-shaped pastry depicted middle left on the stucco relief, for which the house is named. Incidentally, the word Kipfel derives from an old German term, Kipfe, for a ram's horn. And historians have identified documents tracing the use of this shape for festive bakery products back to at least the 13th century. We also know that, while the facade of the Kipfel House is only about 320 years old, the result of a substantial renovation that took place in 1705, its foundations are much older, dating back to at least the mid-15th century, when it housed a long line of bakers. So while historical record indicates that the Kipfel has existed since at least the 13th century, local legend claims that it was invented here. There are a number of competing accounts, but the most widespread myths nearly always cite its shape as a deliberate reference to the Islamic crescent moon on the Ottoman flag. So the story goes, by handing out pastries that resembled the crescent on the Turkish flag, the bakers were both taking a jab at their defeated attackers and celebrating their role in helping to save the city. You may be wondering, what possible role could the city's bakers have played in saving Vienna from a military siege? For that story, you'll have to wait until we get to Amhof, where the decisive events supposedly happened. Suffice it to say for now that once the Ottoman forces retreated, the bakers wanted to commemorate the occasion with a festive bakery product, large quantities of which were, according to numerous historical documents, produced here in the celebratory days after the siege the pastry's ensuing popularity eventually led to its becoming a local favorite and standard fixture of the Viennese baking repertoire. International fame then followed in the 18th century when the Kipferl, along with a handful of other Austrian traditional goodies, accompanied the young Habsburg princess Maria Antonia to France upon her marrying King Louis XVI. The French renamed it, of course. The Kipferl became the croissant, and the name of the princess was also Frenchified to Marie-Antoinette. Incidentally, there is a difference between the original Kipfel and the French version. If you order a Kipfel in a bakery, you'll get a crescent-shaped product that's similar to a light brioche. Specifying that you want a Pariser Kipfel or Französischer Kipfel, a Parisian or French crescent, will get you the buttery, flaky, multi-layered version, more commonly called a croissant in English. Around Christmas time, you may also see small cookies in this shape covered in powdered sugar. They're called vanilla kipfeln, vanilla crescents, and of course, their origin is also often attributed to celebrations of the two thwarted Turkish sieges. This brings us to the last bakery product depicted on this historic facade, the one at the bottom of the shield, which is still the subject of some debate. It may be a bundle or bindle. Literally translated a shin bone, a long white roll made from refined wheat flour. Or it could be a form of filled pastry, perhaps the forerunner of something called a schiraffel or giraffel, usually filled with red currant jelly. Or it may be the lost ancestor of something quite common these days called a krapfen. Usually filled with apricot jam and fried floating in oil like a donut, then sprinkled with powdered sugar the Krapfen has since taken on a rounder shape. You can also now find them with a broader variety of fillings, like plum compote, chocolate hazelnut paste, or even vanilla pudding. And in terms of sheer volume of consumption, if Austria had a national pastry, this would be it. According to a local newspaper, Austrians eat about 112 million of them each year. That's an average of 14 per person, half of which are eaten during the carnival season. You can easily find them in any bakery year-round for about a euro, but if you happen to be in Austria on Faschingsdienstag, that's Shrove Tuesday, Fat Tuesday, or Mardi Gras, they're frequently given out for free by various businesses and organizations throughout the city. Now that you've got a feel for the historic and folkloric origins of some of Vienna's most famous and enduring bakery products, let's head to our next stop. Of course, you can pop into any bakery in the city if you feel so inclined, but keep in mind, this route will take you to the city's oldest operating bakery, in business continuously since the early 16th century. And they've learned a thing or two about producing great bread products in the last 500 years or so. Let's now continue heading north along Grunangergasse, leaving the Kifrel House behind you on your left side. At the T intersection where the street ends, Hang a left onto Schulerstrasse, then take your first right onto Strobelgasse. Again, this street will end in a T-intersection. And again, you'll want to take a left, this time onto Wollzeile, spelled with a W. As you proceed down the street, keep your eye out for an archway on your right side at number 5. You'll see it just opposite a beautiful wooden storefront with traditional reverse-painted glass signs reading Lung Schönbichler. Schönbichler is a wonderful merchant of tea and spirits in business here since 1870. But across from Schönbichler, at Wollzeile No. 5, you'll find the entrance to a Durchhaus, a small public passageway built to allow pedestrian traffic through an otherwise private space. There are around 700 such Durchhäuser in Vienna. This one is lined with an array of small shops and terminates on its north end at Lugek, our next destination. So hang a right into this little passageway, continue past the storefronts, and out onto the square at the next cross street. You'll know you're in the right spot when you see the large monument with an oversized man standing in the middle of a small square.